welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, we will be in Jude chapter 1 this morning. Jude chapter 1. Well, back in 2011, one of my friend's families was going on vacation, and they were nice enough to invite all of my friends with us. Like, like they were going to take all of us with them, probably because we basically lived at their house most of the time. So they were going to Florida, and they said, hey, Andy, bring all of your friends with you. And so he invited us, and we all made this trip down to Florida with Andy and his family. We went to a place called Anna Maria Island. It's a little bit south of Tampa. One of the best vacations I've ever been on, because I was there with my friends, and we did a bunch of dumb things. One of the dumb things we did is uh, we were there for nearly two weeks, and and towards the end of the time, it was going to be a stormy day. Now, stormy is not what you want in Florida. When you go to Florida, you go to Florida for sand, salt water, and sunshine. But this day, a storm was blowing in, like a typical like summer thunderstorm, not a hurricane or anything like that. And we got the bright idea, well, we're at the beach. Let's go to the beach anyway. Mistake number one. So we went out to this place, and when we got there, uh, we, we saw that we were the only people on the entire beach. Now, to a normal person, a normal person would think, there's a reason nobody else is here today. I'm not normal. I thought to myself, I'm the smartest person in Florida. I'm the only one that thought about coming down here. And as the storm was moving in, the waves were growing bigger. And I told my buddies, like, we've got to get in. We've got to go out and play with these waves. Like, we were doing some body surfing and stuff like that. Now, when I say the waves are getting bigger, usually when you stand at the ocean and, you know, the waves are coming in, if you stand about ankle deep in the water, the the waves are about knee high. If I stood ankle deep in the water this day, the waves hit me smack dab in the face. So these were huge waves. And so they'd come and you'd try to put your shoulder into it and they would just knock you over. Now we did that about four or five times before I realized this is not fun. This hurts. We're not very smart. And so we got out of the water. But what I, I learned that day is that you don't mess with force and power that is greater than you. If you mess with things that are greater than you, stronger than you, eventually those things will completely over overwhelm you. Now, why do I bring that up? If you've been with us, we've been in a series called Jude the past several weeks, what we're calling Contend. And the reason for that is Jude is giving us this this direction to contend against false teachers and false teachings that sometimes come out of people who call themselves Christians. To contend against things like people teaching that your salvation is based on your works. Like you've got to be good enough for God. The Bible tells us and Jude tells us to reject that. We reject things like prosperity gospel that tells us that that God is here to give us health, wealth, and... and, uh, health, wealth, and something else. Anyway, I forgot. Uh, We contend against sloppy grace, which says, hey, God is okay with whatever sin you want to find yourself in. He's always going to forgive you, so just sin away. The Bible tells us to contend against those things, which means keep those teachings out of us. Don't let those become a part of our belief system because they lead us to death and destruction. Jude gives us three different things that he he tells us, three tools to contend against false teaching. The, The first one we talked about two weeks ago is remember condemnation. The teachers who come into a church and they teach and they preach these things, they are not followers of Christ. They are working for themselves and there will be a punishment for that and you don't want to be involved in what their future is. Secondly, last week we looked at at, uh, Jude give us a profile of what a false teacher looks like. That false teachers will be um, after power and money and and he gives us a way to identify them by their tactics, which is flattery and lies. 
Today what Jude is going to tell us is to focus on our faith. Build a stronger faith and the power and the force of that faith will be, a over, will be able to overwhelm lies. See, if you want to defeat lies, if you want to defeat false teachings, falsehoods, you overwhelm them with truth, just like the waves of that ocean. There's no competition between that type of power and something as insignificant as me. And when our faith is where it's supposed to be, when we have grown in Christ, when we continue to grow in Christ, what that creates in us is a strength and a power and a force of faith that will overwhelm lies when they come to us. Uh, read with me if you've got your Bibles. We're going to read verses 20 and 21 in Jude. It says, But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back there. So Jude is now giving us a comparison. He begins this little part of the passage with but, which means he's going to compare to what we learned last week. Now last week Jude gave us this profile of a false teacher. This is what a false teacher wants. This is how a false teacher gives it. And then he immediately says, okay, now that we've talked about them and the way that they live and what they chase, you on the other hand, in contrast, you do not act like them. And he gives us an instruction here. Keep yourself in the love of God. So what that tells me, Jude is saying is that we have two different paths that we can take. We can go the way of, of false teachings and we can ch chase after health, wealth, and fame. Fame was the third one. Health, wealth, and fame. We can find ourselves in dead religion that is all about traditions and doing the right things. We can find ourselves in a faith that is excusable sin or we can keep ourselves in the love of God. We choose one of those two things. So our first take home truth this morning is we fight false teaching by keeping ourselves in the love of God. Now, this gives us some questions. What does that mean? Because that, that sounds really weird. If you spend much time in church, you're like, that doesn't track right with me. That doesn't quite sound right. Like, I have, to, I have to keep myself in God's love. I have to keep myself there. I have some kind of responsibility. Does that mean it's my responsibility to make God love me? Does that mean that if I fail to keep myself in God's love, does that mean I can lose my salvation? Is this preaching that if we don't do enough right things that we lose our salvation? Do, do we have to make our lovable enough that, that God would want to be around us. Now, when you have questions on a scripture, I want you to remember this. When you come across a scripture and you're not really sure what it means, you always identify the truth of a scripture that is hard by looking to easier to understand passages. Our Bible never contradicts itself. It's never going to say one thing here and say the opposite here. So if you come up on something that you don't understand or doesn't make sense, or you have questions about what it says, you look to easier passages to understand, and then you use that to create your understanding of this new passage. So for example, if I have a question about this, does, does this mean I can lose my salvation? Does it mean that God will quit loving me if I don't act right? Does it mean that I have to make myself lovable, lovable for God? I, I go to an easier to understand passage that's a little bit more clear, something like Romans 8, 35 through 39 where it says this, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor, nor any order created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. 
If you look at Jude, he began this passage in verses 1 and 2. He began talking about how Jesus Christ is the one who preserves us in our salvation, not our own actions. We can look at other scriptures like John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The world did nothing to understand that. That's uh, clarified in Romans 5, 8 that says, While we were yet sinners, God loved us. See, what this is saying is that God's love is not our responsibility. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to go for it. God's love is not a reflection of how lovable you are. God's love is a reflection of his ability to love the unlovable. That's what, that's what we come here and celebrate is that I'm unlovable, yet God loved me anyway. Listen, maybe today you need to hear one thing. Because I struggle with this too. Sometimes I think, God's got to be done with me. Surely, surely God can't really actually love me. I mean, he tolerates me. Listen, God loves you with a passion so deep, you will never with your human mind be able to understand it this side of heaven. He, he desperately loves you and nothing changes about his passion and his love for you. God loves everybody. The Bible tells us that he loves the world. He loves us all. Even someone who is unsaved is love. God hates our sin, but he loves us. But what happens and what this passage is talking about is while God loves us, sometimes we don't experience the benefits of his love. Sometimes we, we don't get the benefit of the connection, the things that he's offering we don't take advantage of. Let me put it this way. There's a story in the Bible many of you have heard called the parable of the prodigal son. This is a story that Jesus told to illustrate some truths about um, God's love for us. And in this story, this, this man who is a rich man, he has two sons, and the youngest one comes up to him and says, I want my inheritance now. What he's basically saying to this man is he's saying, I, I wish you were dead so I could have the money that I'm going to get when you die. And his father gives him the money. And this young man runs off into a foreign country and he parties the money away. He spends his life blowing everything that his dad had worked for all of his life. He rejected his dad. He contacted him not at all. Until he runs out of money and he finds himself in the consequences of his sin. And at that moment in the sword of the prodigal son, the prodigal son thinks to himself, you know what, even my dad's servants are living better than I am now. I'm going to go home to my dad and I'm going to ask if he'll hire me. There's no way he could ever love me again. There's no way I could be his son again, but I can be his servant. And so as he's coming home and he's practicing this speech about what he's going to say to his dad about how he sinned and he just wants a job, while he was still a long way off, the father sees the son and the father doesn't stand there and goes, I knew he'd be back. The father doesn't sit here and say, you used to be my son, but you messed up too much to be my son anymore. The father runs to him and grabs him and he hugs him. And before the son can say anything, he's like, hey, here's a gold ring. Put this on your hand. Take my best jacket. This is for you. Guys, kill a cow. We're fixing to have a party. See, the point of the parable of the prodigal son is the son was never unloved. His dad's love was still there for him. But the son put himself in a position where he wasn't connected to his dad's love and he wasn't receiving the benefits of his, da of his dad's, <clears throat> dad's love. See, love from God is not conditioned on our actions. So if this verse isn't talking about earning love, then what is it talking about? This verse is talking about what I would call a, a spiritual location or, or a spiritual condition. God's love is available for us all of the time, but sometimes we don't live in a way where we are experiencing his love and the benefits of his love. 
It's a little bit like this. I've got, uh, this is the lamp from our, our living room here. Uh, this lamp is designed and created and has the capacity to produce light if you will just turn it on. But it's not working. Why is that? It's unplugged. Y'all are smarter than you look, okay? I was wondering if y'all were awake this morning. It's not plugged in. This lamp has a capacity to connect to electricity and do something with that electricity. That's, that's what this lamp was designed for. But if I set this in the middle of the road, it's useless. It's not even a good paperweight. It's not heavy enough. If I take it to deer camp, it's useless. But when I bring it into a building like this, this building, no matter if the lamp is here or not, is supplied with ample electricity to, to make that lamp do what it's supposed to do. The power is always here, but the lamp has to be in the presence of the power. And then, connected. And once we connect the lamp to the electricity, it works. Like that. Ta-da! A magic trick, right? Listen, this is a lot like our faith with Christ. God's love is always available for us, but we have to put ourselves in a position where we can connect to it and receive the benefit of it as Christians and as followers of Christ. It's our responsibility to keep ourselves in the love of God. And what uh, the problem for many of us is, is we can be a believer in Christ, but not living in the love of God and not experiencing the benefits. And this is when we are in danger of falling into false teaching. Strong Christians rarely fall into false teaching. Now, Jude gives us a picture in describing what it, in describing um, keeping in the love of God. Jude gives us a picture of what it looks like to have a strong faith. Your second take on truth says we keep ourselves in the love of God by letting faith be our foundation. Letting faith be our foundation. Now, when we come to church, we talk about faith a lot. Earlier in the sermon series, we talked about the faith as far as like the belief system, Christianity, the religion. But most of the time when we talk about faith, we're talking about our personal faith, our personal decision to follow Christ, our personal understanding of who God is. And what happens is when we become a follower in Christ, when we place our faith in Him, our faith will grow as time goes on. Faith will change you. I've said this before. Salvation is not the end goal. Salvation is the beginning of the journey. When you place your faith in Christ, you should continually from that moment until the moment you die be growing closer and closer towards holiness and perfection and closer and closer towards God. And what Jude says here, he says, build yourself up on your most holy faith. What he's saying is make your faith the foundation of your life. When you describe your identity, your identity is not in your actions or who you are at work or what job you have or how successful you've been in life or in your family. But your identity is in the fact that I belong to the king of the universe. When we ask ourselves, what job should I take? We don't look at what job may be beneficial for me monetarily, but what job does God want me in? When we look at marrying, who, who God should I marry? When I look at buying a house, God, do you want me to buy this house? Every part of our life is put on the foundation of our faith. It is what we build off of. Now, you guys know this as well as I do. If you build anything, building takes effort. So to put this simply, what the scripture is saying is to keep yourself in the love of God, to be connected to the love of God. What you've got to do is you've got to put a little bit of effort into growing spiritually. Jude tells us that this is, this is something that we are called to do as individual. And one of the problems with our faith, it is, it is common for people who call themselves Christians or who are Christians to have a shallow and shaky faith. It's common for us to do the, the bare minimum it's like going to work. 
and we have a job. What's the least amount of work I've got to do just to get my paycheck and not get fired? And for many of us, that's how we approach our faith. What's the bare minimum for me? What do I, what do I have to do to be a good Christian? Have a vague belief in a person named Jesus. I attend church, you know, when it's convenient. I pray when I want something. And for many of us, that is the extent of our Christian faith. And that makes us an easy target for false teachings because we never grow. Let me just say this. If, if your faith today, if your faith is just like, hey, I want to go to church just enough and I want to know just enough of Jesus so that when I die, God gives me a cloud and a harp. You're missing out on 99% of what God is doing. God, God's goal was not just for you to go to heaven. God's goal for, was for us to connect to him and to know him, to be known and to know who he is. See, Christianity is a constant pursuit of God. When faith becomes the core of our life, it's a benefit to us because Christ is restoring what he originally made to be good and we broke. And as we pursue God, our faith builds up. It's like a, a seed for a tree. I don't know if you guys have this problem. I have like leaves in my yard that never get raked or burned. Anyway, they're off in the corner. They're off there. And what happens is every year the trees will drop like seedlings or acorns, whatever they drop, and things will begin to, to grow out of the leaves and out of the mulch and out of that one place that just never quite gets like mowed very good. And if I go over there, I'll have these little, little small trees that are, that are like this those trees exist they begin to grow they've been planted they're alive but they're very easy to tear up i very routinely go to the garden i start pulling up these little leafy things but if you let that thing go for just a little while and you begin to nurture it you begin to let it grow it won't take long until that little little whatever that is grows into a sapling and it has a strength that you can no longer cut it down with a weed eater or pull it up or run over it with a lawnmower and if you let that thing continue to be nurtured for decades it will create an unmovable tree and that's the way our faith is our faith is like a seed it's planted within us and it should continue to grow it should continue to get stronger as time goes on it should continue to become something that keeps us rooted and builds a strength that is unshakable and that's what God is calling us to. See, faith is meant to be nourished like a seed. As we learn about God, we grow. Secondly, secondly, one of the ways that we uh, keep ourselves in love of God is conversation with God. That's point B on your take-home truths. See, see, prayer is important for a Christian. Let me take that back. Uh, prayer is essential for a Christian. If you want to follow God, you must have a prayer life. But more than essential, prayer is awesome. Have you ever thought about this? When you pray, the creator of the world turns his face to you and listens to what you're saying. That, that's amazing. Like, I, I think that sometimes, like, like you, oh yeah, we're talking to God. We, we kind of overlook that. That's amazing. God himself, who created the world, wants to hear the problems that you had at work today. God knows you and he wants to communicate to you. It's amazing. It's like this. If You guys know I'm a big Razorback fan. If I had Sam Pittman's phone number, you would know about it every Sunday morning. You know why? Be like, so I called Sam Pittman this week. I, I called Sam Pittman and I asked him what's going on with the recruiting and I asked him how the team looks today. How's KJ looking this week? I called him back after that game we lost and told him you're going to have to do something different at QB2 because that wasn't working for us. And I would call him all the time and I would be so excited to have a conversation with the head hog. And listen, on the cosmic scale of comparing a football coach to God, 
is nothing. I can't even, I can't even illustrate how much of a not comparison that is because we get to talk to the creator of the universe and he wants to hear from us. Not only that, he demands to hear from us multiple times a day. So we communicate with God and as we communicate with God, we, we grow and we keep ourselves connected to him and we keep him, ourselves in the love of God. Now, it's interesting the way that Jude writes this here. He, he says that um, when you pray, you pray in the Holy Spirit. Communicate with God in the Holy Spirit. That means that a true prayer is not like the nightly prayers that we say, you know, you know, keep my soul, Lord, all that stuff. It's not chanting. It's not reading things out of a book. It's not just bowing our heads and assuming a posture. True prayer is a two-way communication. Here's the thing about prayer with the God of the universe. We treat prayer like it's a voicemail. Like we're going to, you know, call God and leave him a voicemail and tell him what we want. You know, dear God, it's Brian again. Hey, I got a cold and I'm miserable. Could you fix that? Thanks. Have a great day. End of message. That's the way we treat prayer. But prayer was never meant to be voicemail. Prayer is a two-way communication. Jude says to pray in the Holy Spirit. What that means is, is the Holy Spirit is God. God exists in three persons. And the Holy Spirit is given to you and me when we become saved. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to guide us, to convict us, and to comfort us. Those are three things the Bible gives the job of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And so when we pray, prayer is not just a list of God. I need you to fix all these things for me. Prayer is a conversation where, yes, I call on the power of God and I praise God, but I also take time to ask for guidance and I listen. I also take time to ask for comfort and I await that. I also take time to await uh, conviction and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to me and changing in me. And in this, this two-way communication with God, when we stay close to God, we connect with Him daily, multiple times daily, and we keep our connection within that realm of the love of God. Point C on your take-home truths is we focus on the future. It says here that we look for the mercy of Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We keep this focus on the future. You know, I'm reminded almost every day, somebody I know or somebody I love loses somebody. It's like somebody dies every day. And when somebody dies, it's always this reminder that it was never meant to be this way. Think of that every time I go to a funeral and I see people hurting. That was never God's plan for us. He never meant for us to die. He never meant for us to be disconnected from people we love. We did that to us with our own sin. And when we, when, we, uh, when we look to our own mortality, when we remember that one day my day is coming, one day I will walk into death, and then we remember I can walk into death with confidence because God has given me mercy. And because of his mercy, I will live eternal life. That makes me recognize that God provides, because of his love, something I don't deserve. And it makes me recognize the value of God's love and I want to connect to it again and again and again. So these three things keep us in the love of God, growing spiritually, connection through prayer, and focusing on the future. This is what a spiritual life looks like. And this is the tool that Jude gives us to contend with false teaching because false teaching appeals to weak Christians who don't know very much about God, whose faith is very little. But when we live in the love of God, it's a protection for us. Uh, when I was younger, my favorite thing to do was go to the barn with my grandpa. And uh, so I'd get my cowboy boots on and my hat. I've already told you the cowboy story. And we would go to the barn and move cows or look around. I don't know. We just, we spent a lot of time down there. And one time we were down there and uh, we were in the little barn lot, lot right there in front. It was like 40 by 60 lot. And I was walking around and I looked at this cow and I made eye contact with it. 
and I could see malice in the cow's eyes. I could see a, a need to kill in this cow's eyes. This, kill was, or this cow was planning on running me over, stomping me into the mud, and for good measure, probably using the bathroom on top of me. I could see it in the eyes. And that cow began to paw at the ground and lower its head. It began to blow smoke out of its nose. And when it took off running, charging me, it tilled up the ground. Maybe that's not really how it happened. Maybe it casually trotted in my direction. But to a little eight-year-old boy, it felt like that cow was about to run me over and kill me. I didn't know what to do. This cow's coming to me. It's huge and I'm scared. And so I'm just backing up and I'm backing up and I'm backing up and it's getting closer. And all of a sudden I back into something. And right as the cow gets just within arm length of me, I hear this, this earth-shattering crack as something hits that on the head and it runs away. I had backed up into my grandpa. And he always carried a big stick with him. When that cow got too close to me, he knocked it out. Listen, I was protected that day. I was safe from danger because I backed into the protection of something more powerful and stronger than me. And that's what the love of God is for us. When we're continually connected to the love of God, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in a position of a power that is greater than ourselves. And we're connecting to it and getting the benefits of that all of our life. So how do you defeat lies? You overwhelm lies with the truth that you get from a strong faith in God. Now, up to this point, Jude has given us a personal responsibility. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? But what you're going to see as Jude continues is he's going to give us a communal responsibility. Read with me verses 22 through 23. It says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Your third take-home truth, number three, is we contend with false teachers individually and in community. Now, this is another place where Scripture assumes that we are in community. There are certain things that Scripture assumes about us as followers of Christ because that's just the things that followers of Christ do. And one of the things Scripture assumes and it continually references back to is that we are in a community of other Christians, that we're building relationships with people who follow Christ and build each other up in that. Listen, God's design for Christian community was never come sit in a church for one hour on Sunday morning. God's plan for our community was that we would get to know each other, that we would pray for each other, we would encourage each other, that you would go to a small group where you meet somebody who you start texting with when you have a prayer request, that you would go out to eat with people that build you up, who are going to talk about things of the faith, that you build relationships with people who are going to grow you in your faith. That is what God's plan for us is. That's what we do here as a church, is we come together not just to, to hear somebody teach, but we come together to meet each other and grow with each other. And in this text, what he's saying, what Judah's saying is we have a responsibility for each other. I have a responsibility for you, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. And the same, you have a responsibility for me and the person sitting behind you and the person sitting across the room. We are connected to each other. And our goal is collectively to move each other and move ourselves towards the grace of God in every circumstance, to encourage each other, to pray with each other. And if needed, to hold each other accountable. See, Christian community was built this way, that we love each other enough that we're willing to have the hard conversations with people to keep them out of the danger of sin. 
If you look at what Jude is saying here, he says, have a distinction about the way that you handle things. He says, there are some people you're going to need to approach with compassion. That, that word there means people that you will watch over or care for. Care for people that are going through trials that are maybe going down a wrong road. That may mean that we pray with people, that we encourage them. It may mean that we patiently endure something. Many of you parents, you've felt that before. Your kids get to that teenager stage and you just have to patiently endure that season of life. Maybe they're hanging out with the wrong kids or they're dating someone you don't like or they're just making every wrong choice as they, they try to find out who they are. And as a parent, you just patiently endure and you love and you encourage them. And sometimes as Christians, together what we have to do is we patiently endure with people. We have compassion on people, just caring for their needs through the midst of hardship. But Jude gives us another look at it too. He says, but there are others you must save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. There's a more urgent tone there. See, fire consumes and destroys. And what Jude is saying is some people are going to get themselves into false teaching. Some people are going to get themselves into sin. Some of your brothers and sisters are going to stumble. It's your job to go to the rescue. It's your job to go pull them out of the fire. You can't just sit around and wait for something to happen. You have to take action now. Imagine you were sitting out in front of your house and your family was in there and the house was on fire and your neighbor runs up to you and they go, uh, did you get all your family out? You said, no. And they say, I'm going to call 911. No, don't call 911. It'll probably fix itself. It'll be okay. We would never do that. And yet what Jude is saying is sometimes as Christians, we kind of do that with people falling into the dangers of sin. There are times when we may have to take drastic action, when we may have to walk to somebody we love very deeply, and we may have to have that really hard conversation that's going to hurt them and hurt me. We may have to take measures to get people's attention to pull them out of sin. And Jude gives us a command of why we do this with each other. He says, as you do this, hate even the garment stained with sin. That's a very encompassing statement. He's not like, you know, sin is bad. It's okay. Jude says this, sin is so bad. If somebody is wearing clothes while they sin, you hate their clothes because they were in the presence of sin. That means somebody tells a lie and you see their shirt laying around later and you're like, the, the, the shirt has a lie on it. I don't think he's meaning for us to take that literally. I think he's making a point though. Like sin is that big of a deal. Sin is that big of a deal that we hate, not just sin, but we hate anything that sin taints or that sin gets a hold of. Why would we hate sin this much? Uh, the first week of the series, I told you guys, I, I hate snakes. Can't stand them. I don't want to be in a room with one. I don't want to see one on TV. I don't want it on my phone. If you have a pet snake, I am never coming to your house. I don't care if it's in a cage. Why do I hate snakes that much, even if they're, you know, somewhat contained? It's because snakes, to some degree, pose a danger to people. And it has been put into my heart and in my mind that snakes are dangerous. And so I avoid them at all costs. What Jude is saying is we avoid sin and every aspect of sin at all costs. And if somebody falls into it, we don't just excuse it and say, well, you know, teenagers do that. If somebody falls into sin, we don't just say, well, maybe they'll turn around. We don't just say, it's not my business. We say there is a present and clear danger here, and we rush to the rescue with everything that God has given us. And if we do this, this is actually a reflection of Jesus' heart. Your fourth take-home truth today is we hate sin as Christ did, or as Christ did, because like Christ, we see its destructive power. We talk an awful lot about wanting the heart of Christ. 
I want to love people like Jesus does. I, I want people to, to see Jesus in me. I want to handle things the way Jesus does. I want to be like him. That's what Christian means. To be a Christian means to be Christ-like. And we spend a lot of time saying, I want the heart of Christ. A part of the heart of Christ is that he was at war with sin. He was in war with sin in people's life and in the world. And as we grow in our faith, we begin to reflect his character. We begin to see the world as he sees it. We see sin as destructive. And if somebody is doing something destructive, they are in need of rescue. That's the whole reason we worship Jesus. It's because Jesus did the hard things to pull us out of the fire. Literally. Jesus left the comfort and the perfection of heaven to come here and get in one of these things. Every Sunday, and please keep doing this, but every Sunday somebody comes in and they tell me about how their body is breaking. I pulled a muscle on a rope swing yesterday because apparently I'm not 25 anymore. Like these things are, they're dumb. They break. They're horrible. They're not fun. Jesus left heaven to come here and be in one of these. And not only that, he went through the most excruciating pain that a human body can endure. Why? To pull you and me out of the fire. Because he was at war with sin. Because he knew that we needed rescue. And if we're going to reflect the heart of Christ, if we're going to be like him, that means we have to be at war with sin as well. Sin in our lives and sin in the lives of people that we love. We see it as the enemy, and we fight it no matter what. So, Brother Rick, if you want to start coming up here, as we finish this morning, I think what the Scripture is calling us to do is be willing to do hard things. During our reflection time, there's two ways that you could take this. Maybe this morning you just need to start with that first faith. None of this means anything if you have not yet started with placing your faith in Jesus Christ. It is so simple. He doesn't ask you to act good enough to Him. You can never earn His love. Jesus loves you. And He offers you salvation. All you have to do is take it. It's for you. You have to receive it from Him. He offers that for you, not because you're special, but because He's special. And for the rest of us, if we are recipients of that salvation, if we have placed our faith in Him, God doesn't call us to just sit around and be content with our life. God calls us to grow closer to Him and experience the benefits of that salvation, to grow our faith into something useful. So as we stand, I'm going to ask you guys, would you just look into your own heart and ask, what is God calling me to do? Is there a way I can grow more and connect more and keep myself in the love of God more? Is there a way I can strengthen my faith that I'm not already? I'm going to ask you to commit to that. Let's stand and worship.